Um, one of the things that I, I was saying a little bit earlier just about um, just being so excited about what God's doing in bringing the church together, um, you know, uh, it's definitely happening, and I believe around the world, um, for the church to come together. And, you know, this is one bride, one church, one body. And, um, you know, but that's not going to happen without the presence of the Lord. People don't need another church. They need the presence of the Lord and, um, and the church coming together. And when the church uh, begins to come together um, in a humility and in the way that God's intended, because he's coming back for a beautiful bride, not a slavery girl. So we've got to know who we are. And, um, but one of the things that I'm very excited about is just to, just to watch, you know, different parts, and especially like New Wine, so wonderful it is with all of the connections and all of the relationships, so many, so many places, so many churches, so many leaders, you know, feel disconnected or they don't feel like they can run with people. And so it's a wonderful privilege of what you have. It's a wonderful privilege of the body coming together. And, um, but it, it will be done when the Holy Spirit begins to move on us in a way where we lay all of our agendas down and, um, and we all pick up one, which is his. And um, our agenda can never get bigger than his agenda. Isn't that true? And it's so easy to get there. Um, you know, many a times, I, one of the things that I hear in the back of my head all the time, you know, just, you know, from the Lord is that my main call in this life is my relationship with him, not my ministry assignment. The ministry assignment comes out of my relationship with him. And uh, again, I just, I really want to encourage you in, in the whole identity thing and finding your identity in him and not in what you do. And, um, you know, we all need each other. We need the whole of the church. We need all of us walking in our gifts. We need to not be intimidated. We need to not be envious. We need to not be jealous of people getting big around us. And, um, and do you say that here, getting big? In other words, where people are walking in their anointing, we're not threatened by that. We have to, as the church, get to a place where we can bless. Um, it's not about agreement. It's about unity that we're called to maintain that. But when we get to the place where we can really bless and, and uh, people's anointing and not be threatened by that, I think that's one of the things as the whole of the church is that we get threatened by people's anointing. But the truth is, is when the people around us walk in their anointing, it actually causes us to be successful. It, it blesses us. And, um, and it, especially leaders, one of my favorite things about, about John, um, John Wimber, not John Lennon, whatever country I'm in, every time I say John, that's who I mean, is that John had this amazing ability that, that um, he was never threatened by anybody. It didn't, it didn't matter where they came from. It didn't matter their history. It didn't matter what they led. He, he was never threatened by people's anointing. He blessed that. Um, he, he blessed it way before they were even ready. He, what he entrusted to me before I was ready was, oh, Lord, I did a lot of damage. <laughs> I mean, he just was not threatened uh, uh, when he saw things on people. And, um, and I think as the church, I think it was one of the most powerful things because he could recognize anointing and he could recognize things on different people's lives in all kinds of movements in, in the whole church. And he could honor that and he can bless that. And honor really is the doorway to blessing. And, um, you know, Psalm 133, that's our blessing that we get is when unity uh, is maintained. And that unity, it, you know, it talks about with that unity, that blessing that comes over the mountains into the cities. And um, that blessing is what breathes life on the people. And so the church coming together is a beautiful thing. Uh, but in that, we, we need to 
um, maintain this connection with the Lord because a lot of it, the enemy, the enemy always comes in and he'll always go after the very thing that we're called into. And what the enemy uses, uh, you know, much of the time, it, you know, distraction and all those little things inside of us where we begin to look at everyone and everything around us and we begin to discount ourselves, and we begin to think of what we have doesn't matter. And, um, and it takes us out of our calling. It takes us out of our anointing. And so, you know, one of the things of, of just maintaining our heart connection and our intimacy with the Lord, you know, it, it, nothing can take away our intimacy with the Lord because it keeps us in the place of knowing who we are. And you've got to be in the place where God's always defining you. You've got, if God doesn't define you, everyone and everything else will. And I think when we can do that as the church, the church will come together in a great power, a wonderful power, and, um, and in that, um, that the world will know. And, um, and that's not going to happen without God's presence, because God's presence is what empowers us to love. And the church is not going to come alive through signs and wonders. The world is not going to, it's not signs and wonders that's going to get the world's attention. It's about how we love each other. I love signs and wonders. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm a person that loves to see miracles. I, it's a lifestyle for me. I love all those things. But it's not about the signs and wonders. It's about loving each other. And um, to me, I think that is a sign and a wonder, isn't it? And uh, when love is present, God is present. And, um, and so that's one of the things, that's why I keep saying about how, how excited I am with the whole of the church, because the church coming together to love and laying down agenda, and, and uh, the world doesn't need another church, you know, movement. What they need is the movements to come together and realize what we have, and that one person is great at one thing, one person is great at another thing, and honoring and blessing those things. Isn't that, wouldn't that be amazing? I mean, it's happening. It's beginning to happen on a, a larger scale, and it's a beautiful thing, I think, to the Lord to see his kids get along. Don't you love it when your kids get along? And uh, when they come together and they love each other and they build each other up, I mean, it's a wonderful thing to see. Amen. That was all for free. All of it was for free. Okay, I feel like um, this other thing, just to take a few things and share, out of Matthew chapter 9, be, uh, mostly because... Um, what I do feel um, is beginning to happen. I think it will come in a greater power. One of the things that I feel like the Lord um, does with me personally, I'm pretty sure it's with all of us, is that right before the Lord is, um, right before the Lord is going to pour out his presence, right before the Lord is going to move in a great power, right before the Lord is going to take us somewhere in particular, um, he always comes to us. And he always begins to show us things about our life. And he always begins to, you know, show us um, things that maybe we need to work on. Or he shows us things that we need to deal with. Or he shows us things that, that are important to his heart that we understand. And so I think, I think it's important that we prepare ourselves. I, I believe in preparation. I believe the process of preparation is really important. I believe that God's made all kinds of promises to us. But, you know, the promise is only just one thing. We've got to, you know, there's, we've got to go through the process. And, and making the choice to go through the process takes a perseverance. And the only thing that produces the perseverance is, is a suffering. And so it really is making the choice that, yes, I want to get to the promise of what God's saying. I want to walk in the purpose of what God's, you know, saying that he wants to do in me. But the, the choice to go through the process and persevere through that, that's where it lies. That's, 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 that's where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. Do you say that? You have that saying? Beautiful saying. And, um, but it's a choice, isn't it? It is a choice. When God comes to us and says, I want to do something with you. I have something with you. But I'm, I want to work on this right now. So asking, their, asking ourselves, I think, the very important question, you know, what is God preparing me for? What is God preparing me for? And am I ready for what God wants to do? Am I prepared for God's presence to come? 
Am I prepared for God to pour out his presence on me? Am I prepared for God to pour out his presence on my church? Am I, pre am I prepared or is it, is it not, am I not movable? Am I not in a place where God can really come and do what he wants? Because we say this all the time. We say, Lord, you come and you do what you want. We ask him to come and we say, Lord, you do what you want. But in the reality, do we really mean that? And are we ready for it? Are we ready for it to the, even if it messes everything up? Have you ever noticed that through the years, all through church history, when God moves, he does it different every time. And when he moves, it usually offends us, doesn't it? It offends us in some way because he usually anoints people that we're like, really? <laughs> and he usually does things that we're like, but you didn't do it that way before. And all of a sudden, you know, he's stretching us and he's moving us in ways that we haven't been moved before. And every time that we get stretched, you know, it causes the things in our heart to kind of come to the surface. You know, I've watched for many years now, I think, I think, honestly, this is, if the Lord never moved on, on us again as a people, which I believe we're family, we should be a grateful people. Because what we've seen in the last 30 years alone is unbelievable. It is unbelievable how God has poured out his presence. It is unbelievable what we've got to be a part of. It's, uh, it's unbelievable what we've got to see, isn't it? So even, even if we didn't have that, um, just the privilege of what we have, the privilege of God's presence is so incredible. It's so amazing. But I've also found that, that I've watched people for years and pray for revival and pray for God to come and pray for God to change things. I've watched, I've watched many people that were some of the best intercessors, actually, pray for revival only to not notice it when it came and to actually be offended by it and to not, e not even want to be a part of it. So lots of times, you know, we think of revival as signs and wonders, and that's a byproduct of it. It's an important part of it. But the truth is the fire of God's presence begins to bring all of those things up in our life that we didn't know were there. And every time that God does that with us, he's, he's, he's moving. When I see people, that, when I see stuff, I see God moving because what he's doing is he's saying, I want to pour into you again. So let's do a cleaning. Let's clean you out, so to speak. And so, you know, I, I personally, I've seen so many, I don't know what it is. It's just seasons, I guess. I have met so many people recently in the last, I don't know, month or two that are full of unforgiveness. I mean, where, where it's a bitterness. It's obviously given root, birth, whatever, to, to bitterness. And it's just coming out of them like, like, like you wouldn't believe. And to me, bitterness is one of the most unattractive traits somebody can have. It's, it's one of the things, it, it literally changes, I think, people's features. I've seen it where it, it ages people. Bitterness eats you from the, from the inside out. And uh, I don't know what it is, but I keep running into all these people that are so bitter, bitter at the church, bitter at, at God, bitter at people, bitter at, I mean, once you start the cycle of bitterness, it, it just comes out of you like lava. I mean, it's just, it's not going to stop. I mean, bitterness is a thing that just takes over your life. But on the other hand, it encourages me in a weird way, because I believe that when God begins to kind of bring stuff up again, it's like, okay, Lord, okay. Because every time that God brings something up, he gives us the power and he gives us the grace to deal with it. We're not the Holy Spirit. Do you know that? You're not the Holy Spirit. I would love to be the Holy Spirit to my husband and I would love to be the Holy Spirit to my kids. <laughs> I would love to tell them what they're supposed to do and when they're supposed to do it. But that's not the reality of it. I've tried it. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I've tried it. 
but we're not the Holy Spirit. He, we have the Holy Spirit, who's a person, who we have relationship with, and God will reveal things to people in due time. That's the way that he moves. I mean, it's one of the most frustrating things to try to tell somebody for years what their behavior is doing and what their wake is leaving behind, only for them to not see it, and then they have an encounter with God, you know, years later, which is what it usually is, is years, and they have an encounter with God, and they come back to you and they say, oh my Lord, I did not even, do you know what I've been doing? And you're like, are you kidding? <laughs> I've been trying to tell you for years. And then all of a sudden, they're free of it. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit begins to reveal things to us, then we have a choice. And I believe that when he begins to give us these choices, it's because he wants to pour out his present on a greater level. So it's a wonderful thing. It's a, it's a wonderful thing to see. So Matthew chapter 9, three of the four Gospels share this story. So anytime there's something that keeps repeating itself, um, you know, it's really Jesus is saying, I want you to get this. Remember, not everything that Jesus did in his earthly ministry is, is in the Bible. So not every answer that we need for life is actually found in the, found in the scriptures. It's found in the author of the scriptures, right? So we, we, we're called to seek the author. We want to know the author. He wants us to know him. And so this is a, this is a wonderful story because there's a lot of threes in this story uh, that represent different things. And the three in the Bible is wonderful because it represents the Holy Spirit. It represents Jesus uh, being uh, raised from the dead. And so what's going on here is the Pharisees are upset at the disciples, and they're upset at the disciples because they're not doing the things that they think they're supposed to do in order to keep the religious tradition. So it's, it's, it's just really classic of the Gospels of Jesus going around doing ministry and training the disciples and, and all of that good stuff. And in the midst of it, the Pharisees are angry because the religious traditions are getting put to the side. So this is, a, you know, one of those wonderful stories. I love the Gospels, by the way. I, oh my gosh, I love the Gospels. I love Luke. Um, a little bit more detail. I love Luke. I love watching how Jesus ministered. I love watching and reading about how Jesus, when he would see the people, that he'd be full of compassion. You know, that deep compassion. When he would see the hurt and he would see the need and he would see the broken and the sick. And that compassion would rise up inside of him and then he would bring healing. He would heal him. And almost all through the Gospels, and it says, and the people were amazed. The people, we can never lose our amazement of the Lord. So that's kind of what's happening here is that they're, they're, it's really about fasting is what I'm going to talk about. Because, uh, it, it, and during the time there was this prayer, fasting was actually a very uh, selfish thing at the time. It was, it was more of fasting, you know, we fast at different times for, for more of the Lord. We fast for different things that we're, you know, in need of. But the, the type of fasting that was taking place at this time was very selfish, like fasting to get something that necessarily, you know, wasn't really with the Lord, so to speak. And so they, there was a common proverb that said, I'm fasting for a dream. Very selfish, very self-sufficient sort of thing. And so uh, let me read this to you to give you context. Chapter 9, Matthew Verse 14, then John's disciples came and asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will, let, then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. And neither do men pour new wine into old wineskins. And if they do, the skins will burst and the wine will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. So this is a wonderful passage of really being prepared for the presence of the Lord, really understanding. Um, and, and Jesus gives an, a, a great example here. I think of a few different things, you know, first of, you know, don't work for something that you already have. When, 
when the, when the celebration is happening, you know, the fasting, we fast, we mourn, we cry out to God, we ask God to come and be with us, but there's a time when the celebration is happening. There's a time when God's with us. God is with us right now. This is not the time, you know, to beg for God to come. I mean, he's here. And the, the encouragement there is when the bridegroom is present, enjoy him. Celebrate. Don't get so religious and caught up, well, I have to do this to get something else. Enjoy him when he's here. Let's enjoy the presence of the Lord. Let's rest in the presence of the Lord. Not, let's not get so busy that we're on to the next thing, the next meeting, the next whatever it is, but enjoy the bridegroom when he's present. There's an element of just enjoying them, isn't there? And so rather than fasting and working for something, this really is a, a, a point of enjoying him and celebrating him. And so, he's, you know, I, for me personally, lots of times I can get sidetracked in praying, for, praying to God for things when the answer's like already there. In other words, most of everything that we need, we already have. You know that? Most everything that we need, we really already have. It's just whether or not we're going to believe it. Like God has already spoken so many things, it's just a matter uh, if we're going to believe what he spoke. It's just a matter if we're really going to buy into the things that he's already promised to us. And many times, like, I'll ask the Lord for something, and the Lord will say, I've already given it to you. It's already right there. You just have to believe it. You just have to believe that this is what I'm doing and that I'm, that I'm here with you. And so Jesus is going to give a couple examples to make a point here. And they're wonderful examples in verse 16 and 17. And it's real, this is really the reference in, in, in Jesus being with them, Jesus being with us. And he's saying that there's no need to fast, there's no need to wait for something that's already here. And he's going to use the example of the cloth and the wine. He's going to give two examples of the importance of the wineskin, so to, so to speak. And he's saying, listen, I'm not going to sew a patch on something. I'm not going to sew where the wineskin. I'm not going to just cover something up. And he's using the example of the cloth, it's patch. I'm not just going to patch something up. I want to pour something into your life. But there's times that I'm not going to just do that. I'm not going to just put a patch on that. Because if I do that and I pour the new wine in that wineskin, you will not be able to contain what I'm going to pour out. You will not be able to carry. You will not be able to contain, so to speak. We're the containers, we're not the controllers. You will not be able to contain what I want to pour into your life. So there will be times that God will come to you and he will say, no, this is not going to be like this this time. This isn't going to be where you're going to play like that's not happening. Or you're just going to keep doing business as usual. I need to do a deep work here. I need to do a deep healing here. And sometimes God will do that. Sometimes God will come to you and he'll say that. In fact, I've found that so many times that when God needs to get my my uh, attention for something. When God wants to take me somewhere, that's what he'll do. He'll come to me and he'll say, listen, I want to do a deep work here. This needs to get healed in your life, Christy. This thing needs to get fixed. In other words, how many times have we watched through church history where people have had an anointing, where people have had a wonderful thing from the Lord, yet the inside reality cannot hold their outside reality? In other words, God wants to pour his spirit out on you. God wants to anoint you for things. But there will be times that God will not do it until the other things have first been fixed. One of the most frustrating things for me as a leader is seeing people come, hear the same thing over and over again, but nothing changes. You know what I found? What I found is they've never cleaned out. They haven't had the renovation process first. They haven't had the whole Romans things, you know, where, where God comes in and he renovates everything. The mind hasn't been renovated. In other words, they come to church and they hear the same thing or they hear something and they can't, it never gets into their spirit. It doesn't get into their spirit because they're just piling stuff on the stuff that's already broken. And so God needs to come in. I'm talking, this is leaders, 
you know, attenders. It doesn't matter what it is. God needs to come in at times, and he needs to do a renovation process. He needs to come in and completely clean everything out so that he can renew our mind and he can fix our, our container, so to speak. And what Jesus is he's representing, I'm not going to come. I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to uh, pour new wine into these old wineskins. I'm not going to do it again. When he comes again, he, it's not going to look the same. He's not going to pour his spirit out into the same vessels. He's not going to do it in the same way that it's happened before. And so our job is to prepare ourselves. Our job is to get ready because there's an element of the wineskin of the choices that we have to make in order for God to pour his presence out in the way that he's always attended. He loves to give, he loves to pour his presence out on us. He loves for us to meet him. But in that, God will reveal things to you and he will show you things that he wants to fix. And you have a choice. You have a choice. You have a choice on whether or not you're going to allow him to do a deep work or if you're going to continue in what you have, continue in how you're living and keep going, whatever it is, just because, just because something's working doesn't mean it's the spirit of the Lord. Did you hear me? Just because something is working does not mean that it's the spirit of the Lord. And I think for us, you know, even Jesus saying here, I'm not, gonna, I'm not going, he's signaling, you know, the passing of the old and representing of the new. And I do, I believe we're in a time again where the Lord is, the, the, just the presence, the fire of the Lord is just going to bring some things up to the surface. And for some of you, it, it, it's, it is a surface thing. And there's other things that, that aren't. They're deeper issues. And it's, it's actually the mercy of the Lord. This is the great mercy of the Lord when he begins to reveal things to you and I that aren't right. Because what he's doing is he's getting us ready. What he's doing is he's growing us up. What he's doing is, is that he's doing a, a healing process so that we can actually be a part of the bigger picture, so to speak. So I was reading uh, a couple weeks ago again, just because I was running into all of these people with this bitterness thing. And, um, you know, the Lord reminded me of the Moabites, you know, and, and the, the prophet Jeremiah. Because this is, you know, all through the, the scriptures we find where God raised somebody up. He would anoint somebody to give a, a message to the people, to warn the people, to, you know, whatever it was. He would anoint somebody and they would have the, the word of the Lord. And so, you know, God raised up Jeremiah at the right time to give a message to the people. And Jeremiah gave this, this, this prophecy to the Moabites. And he said, you know, woe to you. You don't have any blood on your sword. In other words, you've, you've taken yourself out of combat. You've taken yourself out of the battle, so to speak. You don't have any blood on your sword. But not only that, you have not allowed the Lord to, to shift you at times. You have not allowed the Lord to pour you out. And so you've become stale. You've become, you've become uh, bitter. And he uses the whole example, such as this, as, as the wine and the wineskin. And when they would make wine in the fermentation process, you know, and they would pour the wine from, from jug to jug and, or jeg to jeg, something like that, they would call some one of, the, one of those things. Anyways, they would pour it from one into the other. And if they didn't pour the wine out, then the wine would, would get bitter. And so the prophecy is about, listen, you have not allowed God to shake you when he needed to shake you. You did not allow the Lord to pour you around, so, you know, a bit, a shifting sort of bit. And, the, and the, the result of that is you've become, you have no blood on your sword. You're not even in battle. You're not even a part of all this. You've taken yourself outside of it, which is usually, you know, bitterness can be a, a, part, a big part of that. And, and that is what forms. Woe to you, that bitterness that comes. If you and I, don't allow God to pour us out at times. If we don't allow the shaking at times, the shaking does something to us. If we allow God to do some of the things that he needs to do in us so that he can do them through us, otherwise we become stale. 
And otherwise, the aroma, the taste, so to speak, of our life doesn't produce the thing that we're called to produce. So it's a great mercy of the Lord. It is, a, it, it, it's not, it's not, the discipline is the mercy of the Lord. When the Lord reveals something to you, he's saying, I love you this much. I love you this much, and I, I have something amazing for you. But before we go there, I, I need to, we need to live here for a minute. So there's different levels of the, of the Lord's promise, of his presence with us. And the, the first is, is that he'll never leave us, that he'll never forsake us. Do you know that? You know what I love about that word forsake? Is when he says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, it means I will never abandon you. What's people's biggest fear? That they're going to be abandoned. What happens when you step out in ministry? That you're going to be alone. That nobody else is going to be with you right? That you're going to fail. All that whole thing of abandonment is massive. It can get massive in our soul. So the promise that God says to us, listen, when you accept me, I will never leave you. It's the, it's the great promise of Emmanuel, God is with us. I'm always here. He's always here. So our, our job is to draw near to him because he's here. And when we draw near to him, it's, it's, a, it's an act of a, a sacrifice. What falls on sacrifice? Fire. It's the presence of the Lord. So you have the promise that God is always with you. You have the promise that God says, I will never abandon you. And we need to know that. Sometimes it's the simplicity that we know that we are never alone. It's so cliche, but I'm telling you, I've been there. I've been there when I felt like I'm alone. I felt like there's nobody else. I've felt that. So the promise of that the Lord will never abandon me, when the Lord, you know, has me step out, when the Lord asks us to do things, the promise of I will never abandon you is huge. That's why he told Joshua so many times. Joshua's call was massive. He needed to hear it, you know, what, six, seven, eight times in the first chapter? I will never leave you. I will never leave you. I will never. I mean, obviously, the guy was insecure. He needed to know God was never going to. But we're all like that. We are all like that. We need to know that God will never abandon us, that he will never leave us, right? The second promise, Matthew 18, 19, where he says, listen, where two or more of you are gathered, what begins to happen? God begins to come on us in another way. There's something that happens together when we get, to go, when we get together in a corporate setting. There's an element of God's presence that comes on us that doesn't happen when we're alone. So kind of what we did this morning is that us be, with the Lord of being alone. It's important, that connection. But there's another level of being in God's presence that when we get together corporately, he loves it. And so he says, when you do that, I'm going to be with you. And he comes in a greater way. He comes in a different way. It's, it's, a, it's a different thing that we will not get by ourselves just with him. It's a corporate blessing. It's, it's the community of the saints coming together, which, by the way, it's the equipping of the saints, not the equipping of the leaders. It's the equipping of the saints that we come together and that we recognize him, but then he empowers us again, right? And, he, and he, he does all these wonderful things when we come together corporately. And that's why we need each other. We need each other, we need the church, we need the community of the church, because you know what I believe? I believe that God has set it up, that some of our healing is in the hands of the people that God's placed around us. You will never become a whole person by yourself. And that's what the enemy always does to us. He tries to isolate us. He tries to get us alone. He, he does all those sorts of things. So, because if he can get us alone, he's got us, because isolation kills. When the enemy can get us alone, I don't care what you do, by the way. I, you know, I mean, I care. That's, but it doesn't matter what you do. You know, whatever you do, the enemy can get you alone, and the enemy can isolate you. And if the enemy can isolate you, the enemy can 
take over your mind. Because when you're alone, you're brilliant. When you're alone, nobody else is there to argue with you. You are right all the time. When you're alone, everything makes sense to you. When you're alone, the enemy does all kinds of stuff on you, and that's how we get in deception. Deception is the very thing that takes us out of God's presence when we begin, begin to get deceived on things. The, the nature of deception is that you get deceived and you're the last one that knows it. That's the nature of deception. The way that we stay out of deception is in community. In other words, you've got people in your life that are you know, part of your life that tell you about the elephant in your room. Do you have that expression? Yeah, you have elephants over here, yeah. You've got to have people, that's the, commu- the power of coming together. And I, I'm, we, we have to fight for this. There, this is something that we have to fight for corporately. We have to fight for community. You have to fight for it, you know, the value of it. I mean, I've learned like through the year, you can never make church an option. Because if you make church an option, it's an option. And I guarantee you'll use that option. We just, we grew up, when, and, and when my husband and I got married, church was never an option. I mean, this is what we do. And in the States, it's a big deal because church is a massive option. And it's a, it's a big buffet. And it's, you know, it's one thing over here, one thing, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so it's an option. But the community is what God's, there's a, there's a level of God's presence that comes when we get together. It, it just is. It's a wonderful thing, whether it's two, whether it's five, whether it's ten, whether it's five thousand. God's presence comes in a different way than when we're alone. Then there's a third level, and it's the filling of the wineskin. It's the filling of the presence of the Lord. It's, it's that thing that happens to you when you drink too much wine, and you begin to act outside of yourself. It's the filling of the Holy Spirit on a different level when you begin to do things. And I'm not talking about shaking. I'm not talking about falling down. I'm not talking about those kind of manifestations. I'm talking about the God's presence filling us to a place where we begin to act outside of ourselves, where we begin to have a discernment, where we begin to have a wisdom, where we begin to have, you know, a lifestyle that's so full of the Holy Spirit, that God's Spirit just flows from us because we're so full of Him. Very few people I know live from this place where they're just full of Jesus they just, you know, they just radiate Jesus. One of the most beautiful things for me to see is an, is an older person that's known the Lord for many years because it's like they wear Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? They, they just wear Jesus. There's some of you in here. You just wear, you wear Jesus. It's that of knowing who he is. It's the infilling of who he is. It's the same, you know, spirit. It's that, this is lifestyle, the spirit that, that filled Solomon, that he had that wisdom that people traveled all those miles to hear about plants. I mean, come on. You know what I'm talking about? There's so many, so many things that we find, so many stories that we read that when God's presence fills somebody, they, they walk in something, they walk in that revelation that, that is so attractive, that is so full of him. I believe that we are coming into a time that, you know, we need courage. If you're leaders in here, you need courage. Courage is, is you know, a wonderful thing because courage is not, it doesn't mean that we don't have fear. It doesn't mean that there's obstacles. It means that something, you know, we just have this ability to push past it. So we need courage. But there's a different level that I, I think in this filling of the Holy Spirit that we're going to need in the coming days as leaders because everything will get challenged. And that is the revelation that I talked about earlier, that we need to get the revelation that God's speaking to us. But what happens when revelation is present that comes from the intimacy of what we have with the Lord? From the place of intimacy where he begins to reveal things to us that we didn't know before. That is where we get the spirit of might. 
The spirit of might is different than courage. The spirit of might is that power of God's spirit coming on us where we can do things that are the impossible, where the impossible looks possible, and it's not even a matter of the battle. We just know that God has spoken something, and therefore we can stand for it. That is what we need in the coming. We need that spirit of might that will not come without the intimacy and the revelation by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the revelation that David walked in that allowed him to kill the lion and the bear before he killed Goliath. He didn't, I mean, he didn't, he didn't even notice the battle. He didn't even notice Goliath. Everybody's fighting over the, how big Goliath is, which is what our culture is. Everybody's always arguing over whose Goliath is bigger. David doesn't even notice. He just comes right in there and he sees it. You know why? Because he had a revelation. He had the, he had the spirit of might on him. Look, all through, look at Rahab. She had the spirit of might. She had a revelation that saved her entire family. The prostitute that's in the lineage of Jesus. That's the spirit of might. We need to have revelation like that so that when God begins to speak things to us and he begins to show us things that he wants to pour out into our life, that all of a sudden we just know it's going to be okay. This is good. This is the Lord. We can do this. Yeah, I get that it's a big deal. I get that it's a big battle. I get that this is not going to be easy. But I've seen what God has shown me. And therefore, it is. It is. When God speaks something, it is. When God speaks something, it is. It, it's different than a, it, who he is is what he says. What he says is who he is. When he makes a promise, it is. So when God reveals a revelation to you of what he's going to do in your life, it is. You just got to get your mind out of it. You got to get your head out of it. You got to live from the place of revelation. If you don't live from the place of revelation, the battle will get massive. The opposition will take over everything else. The resistance will become the focus. When we have a revelation of what God has spoken, his voice always speaks that life. When we get that revelation, it's like, I can do this thing. I can do this because God's already spoke it. Therefore, it is. That is this level of being so full of the Holy Spirit. And so really, the question is, are we getting ourselves ready? Do not believe that God's coming in a greater power. Do not believe that God's rocking England right now. As an outsider, I'm saying he is. He is rocking you and it is the beginning of what's to come. And God is going to pour out his spirit on greater levels. And he's going to pour out his spirit on different people to raise people up to have the very words of what, what he wants released. And he's looking for people that will get themselves ready, that will prepare themselves, that will die to other things, that it won't be so important to have things that we thought we wanted before, and that he will become the center. He will become the most important things. I have it all the time where people will say to me, Christy, you're so serious about Jesus. Well, yes, I am serious about Jesus, but this is it for me. Like, this is it for me. This is it. I, when I finally said yes to the Lord, that took me a very long time, by the way. <laughs> I'm one of those people. It's very hard. If, it's hard for me to say yes, but when I say yes, it's a done deal. It's a done deal, right? And, uh, but when I said yes, I said, Lord, if, I, if I'm going to do this thing, I'm going to do it. I'm going I'm to go this, after this thing with everything that's in my heart. That's going to be my main folks, my main mission. After, you know, obviously my, my family, I'm talking about the bigger sort of picture. If I'm going to, you know, everything else is going to die. I'm gonna, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right. You know why I think that? Because we have this short amount of time. We have this short amount of time. We, just, we think we have so much time. We do not have that much time left. Life goes by so, so fast. Life goes by so fast. We have this short, we don't have time for arguments. 
We don't have, to, we don't have time to, to sit around and think, well, they should minister. Oh, no, they shouldn't minister. Or no, they, we don't have time to argue about anything. Who is God anointing? Who is the, is the God of the heaven and the earth, the creator of the heaven? Who is he putting his hand on? This is not rocket science. Who is God putting his hand on? That is who we want to hear from. Who is God anointing? Because you can't pay for anointing. You can't make anointing happen. When God anoints people, it's because he's anointing them for a purpose. He's anoint- we don't have time for arguments. We don't have time to, to dis- you know, have all these you know, things that distract us. We have a short amount of time to get ourselves ready to be in on one of the biggest things ever. This is it. The kingdom message is the most important message on the face of the earth. And you're in this room and you're a part of it. The most important thing that's happening on the face of the earth is the kingdom advancing. And we're either in that advancement or we're not. It's that simple. It's the, and it comes down to the choices. Will I die to some of these other things in order to have more of him? Because it's an exchange. Every time we hold on to, you know, every time I want bitterness, unforgiveness, or I want my way, or I want something, you know, whatever, whatever it is, I'm doing an exchange. I'm taking that over the presence of the Lord. I mean, how much time is wasted over that stuff? I don't really want to let go of that. Like, I used to get irritated. I used to, what am I, Italian? I used to get irritated. That um, is funny because I'll go through these seasons and I have these different gestures. And my kids, you know, will, of course, show me what my gestures are. So after church, they'll tell me that I have a new one. So, yeah, this is my new one, I guess. <laughs> it's funny. Anyways, it, what was I saying? <laughs> all that. What was I saying? Are you not listening to me at all? <laughs> what was I, I'm, I'm really serious. What was I saying? There are so many distractions in this life. What? Don't waste time. <laughs> we don't have time to waste time. Isn't that true, though? Isn't that true? And every time, that's, that's what I was saying that was so brilliant, is that any time we make a choice to hold on to something, we really just are exchanging it for the presence of the Lord. Nothing is more important than the presence of the Lord. Nothing is worth it. I, nothing is worth it. I have this, you know, belief system. This will tell you a little bit about my thinking, Okay. I personally believe that forgiveness is the best revenge. Now, that, that's just going to tell you a little bit. But you know why? <laughs> that is sort of how, my, how I think. Because I just don't, I'm not, no, you can't have that part of me. You will not have that part of me. You will, I will not hold on to that. I will not do that exchange. I won't do it. And, and people don't like that. People, some people don't want forgiveness. Have you found that? They don't really want to be forgiven. They weren't looking for that. But no, I'm not, life is too short. Life is too short, and I don't want to wear that on my face. I don't want to wear that. I want to wear Jesus. I want to be full of Jesus. That's what makes all the difference, right? And so it's getting ourselves ready, because Jesus is saying, if you have a wineskin ready, I will feel it. I'm going to fill it all the way, right? When Jesus fills us, he fills us right. And he also says this, but I'm not going to pour the new wine into the old wineskin, and so he's giving us this sort of warning. Listen, I want to take you over here, but before I take you over here, you might have to let go of some things. Every time we go forward in the kingdom, we have to take less of us. Have you found that out? Every time God wants to take, we have to be willing to take less of us. And so God will come to us, and maybe what was okay over here will kill us over here. Let me say that again. Sometimes in seasons in our life, even for years, you could say, I've been doing this for 30 years, Lord. I've been doing this for 40 years. This is the way I operate. This is the way that I do things. 
And God will say, yes, I know that's the way that you operate. And what I'm saying to you is that today has to change. Because I would like to take you over here, and I would like to pour out another level of my spirit. But in order for me to do that, you have to be willing to let go of that. You have to let go of what was in order to have what is. And if our hands are full of what was, if we're so stuck in what, it, what was, we won't be able to see what is and what's coming, right? I, I love that I love that I... What time am I supposed to finish? Because you've got this weird time here that's 15.07, and that means nothing to me. <laughs> that's, like, that's like Greek to me. What time is 15.07? Is that 3.07? Okay, so just go like this when I... Let's go like this one. When the Lord comes to us and reveals stuff to us, it's always because he wants to take us into something else. It's always because he wants to pour into us in a new way. And we have the choice on whether or not we're going to do that. We have the choice of whether or not we want to be full of him again. And, and I, I believe this with all my heart. I believe in, in, in Luke where it talks about where God says, I'm not going to give you more than you can handle. When he talks about, you know, that scripture, wherever that is in the Bible somewhere. I'm not going to give you more than you can handle. Do you realize that that also has to do with blessing? In other words, there are times that God can't even give us the thing, the blessing, because we're not ready for it. In other words, he's saying, if this is not constructive, if this will be destructive, I will not give it to you. If you're not ready for it. Second Corinthians talks about that he has all of these things that he's waiting to give to his children. It's like he's just waiting in heaven, just waiting to give you all of these wonderful gifts, all of these wonderful things. But there are seasons and there are times that God will say, I will not pour that into your life right now because if I pour that into that wineskin, it will break. You will not be able to handle it. I love to give my kids gifts. I would love to give my kids a car, but not when they're three. There's this choice of growing up. There's this choice of this, the wineskin, so to speak, and preparing ourselves and getting ready. And oftentimes, when God wants to advance us, oftentimes when God wants to take us forward, we have to be willing to let go of things. We have to be willing to let go of some of that baggage and some of those things that will hold us back. And it's not always easy because we have to trust him again that he is going to pour the wine. We have to trust him again that he's not just going to leave us dry, that we're not going to you know, have nothing we have to trust him again every time that we let go. Every time that we advance in the kingdom, it's like we have to lay everything down again. It's the way it is, because we have to lay it down again. There's only one ministry. It's his ministry. This is, this is his deal. And every time he wants to take us, we have to be willing to lay it, lay it down again. You have to learn how to live loosely, hold on to things loosely, where we're not tied to so many things, where they actually hold us back from going forward. And so uh, it's just part of the call of what God's given into us. So it's not just about, you know, walking through this life and making it and even having good church. and having, It's not about that. It's about a, the life again. It's about the connection. It's about being ready for God's, the God's presence to be poured into us because that's what people need around us. It, it's when you make the decision, yes, Lord, I want you to take me wherever you want, me to, you want to take me. I want to do the very thing that you're calling me in to do. I want, it, when you make that decision, when you decide to take something that actually already belongs to you, but you've never inhabited it, that is when the battle begins. Because the enemy doesn't go, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize that I, I was taking something that belonged to you. No, the moment that you decide, I'm going to go forward with the Lord in that, all hell is going to break out. Everything's going to crash all around. That's the way the battle begins when you begin to decide, I want Christ to emerge in me more importantly than anything else. 
I don't care about, I need to let go of, I don't want anything that has any hold. I don't want any hold that the enemy, I don't want any of that stuff on me. I want God to give me everything that he has. And so even, the, even earlier when I was talking about suffering, suffering's a part of this. We don't talk a lot about suffering now in the church, in the larger church. And I think it's detrimental because suffering is in the New Testament. I mean, we will have times of suffering. I, I've had times of great suffering in the last 30 years, 40 years, and I know it's not over. But suffering, you know, the suffering that we go through, that's what Romans talks about. Do you realize that all of creation is groaning for the present church, the, the sons and the daughters of God, to realize what they have? And the present sufferings that we go through, it, it, it's, it pales in, compare, in comparison to the glory of the Lord. So the things that we hold on to because of the sufferings that we encounter and the things that we won't let go of, it doesn't matter so much as the glory of the Lord. And all of creation is waiting for us to know it so that we will rise up and walk in what we're called to walk in. Do you know that? All of creation groans. When that scripture, when I hear that scripture, I, I feel that physically, actually, because I live in California, and the creation is groaning because of the earthquakes. But when the earthquakes, I, I, I believe that's part of all creation. He created all things. It's all of his creation. It's groaning. There's this, the, the, like the earth groaning for us to realize what we have. And so holding on to all these, these petty things, it's just not so important. I just don't think it's important. But the letting go so that we can have the, the new. In Acts chapter 1, verse 7, where it says, I'm going to pour my spirit out on you, and you will be what? My witnesses. His spirit is always for a purpose. Power is always for a purpose. But there's always a price tag to power. Everybody wants to come in after the victory. Everybody wants to come in after the victory. I learned when my church started, I can't tell you how many people came up to me and said, um, I would love to come to your church, but I first want to see if it's going to work. I'm like, well, okay, that's a lot of faith. Thank you for that faith right there that you just imparted to me. I mean, most people aren't pioneers, right? Most people aren't. But it's his spirit on us to be witnesses. It's power for some, power for a purpose. If you don't use the power for the right purpose, you lose the power. And our culture lives in a, almost of a selling of the, of the Christian culture, a selling of God's spirit. He will not be redu reduced to a formula. He is the wind. He's the, he is the dove. He, how can you pocket the wind? How can you tell a bird where to fly? We will never be able to make the Holy Spirit a formula. Because if we did as the church, we would take it, we would stamp it, and we would sell it. And he won't do it. He will not be reduced to that. And when he says that, and the, the Holy Spirit is going to fall in the church, do you realize that what they did before the power came? came? They replaced Judas, what Judas had done. In other words, they repaired the leadership before God could pour out his spirit, before the Holy Spirit could come. God has to repair things in us. God has to get us ready. He has to get the wineskin ready. He has, to, he has to get us in the place where we'll be flexible. The wineskin, if we're so stuck in the old, you know what begins to happen? We become immovable. We become immovable. We become inflexible. I think flexibility is one of the Beatitudes we need. Flexibility in the kingdom is, is, a, is a definite. For us to be able to be flexible, Lord, what are you saying? What are you doing? Because it's, it's a stretching beyond any other stretching, is it not? And I do, I love what God's done through the years. I could tell you so many miracles. I could tell you so many wonderful things that I've seen God do, which, by the way, I've seen more miracles outside of the church in the last five years than in the church. And uh, in amazing miracles, I've seen people come back from the dead. I've seen wonderful wonderful things that God has done. The Lord reminded me of this one story this morning. I was praying for this lady, I think, in Ohio. Yes, God is there. And, um, <laughs> oh, is this taped? <laughs> and uh, I was praying for this lady, and she was losing her sight. And she was really almost completely blind. 
And, um, and I began to pray for her, and, and I was feeling so much power. You know when you're praying for somebody and you're feeling the Holy Spirit so much? And this lady is not showing, she's giving me nothing. She's got poker all over her poker face. And, uh, and so, and, but I am feeling so much of the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'm praying for her and I'm praying for her. So I stop and I look at her, you know, nothing's happening. So I'm praying again and praying again. And finally, I'm just going, I have so much heat on me. This, I can't believe nothing's happening. So finally, I say to the woman, I said, are you, you know, you know, what's happening? You know, I said, I'm just feeling all this power. I'm really sensing the presence of the Lord. You know, are you feeling anything? She's like, no, I don't feel anything. I said, you don't feel anything? She's like, no, but I can see. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Give me something. Give me something. <clears throat> so, I have seen incredible things through the years, and I am a grateful person for my inheritance. I am grateful for my heritage. I love every bit of it, the good and the bad and the ugly, because I think it has formed us. But, but, I do not want to live on what was. I do not want my children to live on what was. We serve a God of revelation. We serve a God of fresh bread. We serve a God, what was once a wonderful taste that was fresh, can breed disease if it's 15, 20, 30 years down the road. We need fresh bread. We need fresh words. We need to be flexible so God can pour his spirit out on us. And I'm telling you, it is going to stretch us. It is going to cause it. And if we are immovable, we will break. We will not be able to contain what he wants to pour out. So that is one of my prayers. I pray this, Lord, please let the inside of who I am be bigger than the outside. Let the inside, the choices, that who I am, you know, the outside, whatever you want to do, you do whatever you want to do, Lord. But let me be bigger inside. Like, let me be flexible. Let me not get so stuck in what was, that it has to be a certain way, that you have to move a certain way, that you only use the people I think you should use, you know. All of those things will actually, you know, be a hindrance to God using us in his power. And so one of the greatest prayers, I think, of, of preparing ourselves for God's presence is, Lord, cause me to be flexible. Let me get ready. Whatever you got to do to stretch me, whatever it is I got to get rid of so that I can, I can contain what you want to pour out. Isn't that a wonderful thing? It's a wonderful promise that he's, he's saying, I'm going to pour out my spirit. Because he is. He is right now, and he, it's coming more and more. So getting ourselves ready is very important, I think, to the Lord. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand? So let's just do this. Let's just wait and see what the Lord wants to do with ministry. The Lord is so here right now. The Lord is so here right now. And I know I can see when, I, when I'm talking a bit. The Lord is showing you different things about where you've become immovable. And you just got to snap out of it. You just got to repent. You just got to get rid of it. You don't need to make a theology out of it. Just get rid of it. No? All right. Put your hand over your heart. Let me pray for you first. Lord, seal your words over us. Lord, seal your word over our spirit. Lord, let it get into our soul. Let it heal our soul, Lord. Let it heal our soul. Let us see things, Lord, the way that you see them. Oh, Lord. Just come, Holy Spirit. We bless your spirit here, Lord.